This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. What age would it be when somebody says to you the first time, life can be really hard? I don't think it happens when you're three years old or four years old, but eventually you start to learn lessons that, yeah, life doesn't just come to you with a box of chocolates day after day after day. In fact, life rarely gives you a box of chocolates. You have to have some really nice people in your life that can provide you with those. But life is not easy. And not too long ago, we were able to tell a story that we were hoping had a happily ever after to it. And we're hoping it still does. But like the movie script that it seemed at the time, it's taken a twist. And it involves a man named Kenneth and the work that is being done by a lot of people behind the scenes to ensure that he doesn't face execution if returned to his home country. Megan Walker got a call a couple of Saturdays ago, and that started a ball rolling that, as we mentioned before the break, that had Kenneth pulled off a plane that was destined to take him home where he faced execution. It was a movie script story, but that pulling off the plane moment did not result in a happily ever after to this story. The script, the story is still being written, and it has taken a difficult twist. Joining us right now to update us on how things are going is Megan Walker. Megan, this was something that, again, you had cautioned. It's not over yet. Now we've got different challenges. So let's maybe pick up from where we left off. Kenneth had just been taken off a plane that was going to go back to his home country. He faced execution in that country. What happened after that? So it's a really difficult situation because uh, Kenneth actually received uh, an invitation to attend a hearing at Border Services, and he uh, that information was sent to ICE, and just at the last minute, he was pulled off the plane. We were cautiously optimistic that because he had this specific invitation to attend Border Services, uh, which is unusual to receive, that he would be given the authority by ICE to attend this important meeting. However, what has happened is ICE uh, has not released him, nor has ICE made any arrangements to release him. Um, and it appears that there are, is another plane going out soon. They call it the death plane because when it arrives in Cameroon, most of the individuals on that plane will face torture and death. Um, and we have the opportunity as a country to take care of all Cameroonians. There are 200 in a similar situation. But specifically, we have a special invitation to Kenneth from Canadian Border Services to attend a meeting this Friday eight, at 8 a.m., and we cannot get him released from the custody of ICE. And if he is not released from the custody of ICE, if he misses that hearing, what could happen? Uh, and most likely he will be on the next plane to Cameroon. And, it, you know, there, there's just no regard in the U.S. for uh, individuals like Kenneth who still have um, appeals before the courts or have opportunities like we, uh, like he has been given with respect to border services. ICE is ignoring all of this. They're just loading them up on the planes and off they go. And they do not want to have Cameroonians in the U.S. 
and yet they have an opportunity now to have one of them leave and come into Canada. Um, and it appears very likely that once uh, Kenneth arrives, if we can get him to border services, he would qualify to enter Canada. Uh, and yet they won't do anything to change their pattern of behavior. And I should say that what is happening in ICE with Cameroonians and others is absolutely despicable. They're being beaten and tortured and forced to sign deportation papers back to Cameroon. And women are being forcibly sterilized. Hysterectomies of young women without their consent. This is how they're treating human beings. And it's not like these are stories that haven't been told. You mentioned the sterilization stories. You can Google search that, and you can find it from all kinds of different news organizations who have told these stories, and then stories that have words like death plane in them, and you would think that would never happen in the United States. But, Megan, you're now talking with all kinds of people who are saying, oh, no, no, that is happening. Yes, it's happening every single day, and... Um, You know, I can tell you specifically to Kenneth's case and to many of the other cases uh, of Cameroonians, they were arrested by police for peaceful demonstration, something I do every single day. And they were arrested and incarcerated and beaten and tortured. In Kenneth's situation, his sister was raped. He was able to escape, and if you can believe the courage, he escaped from Cameroon and made his way to the United States. And when he arrived here, he was treated no better than at home. And the United States now, through ICE, has made a decision that um, they're not going to release him and they're not going to allow him to attend a meeting with border services. And you know, the community of London is a fantastic community, as I've told you many, many times, very generous. And we've made arrangements, if he is allowed to come to go to border services and be admitted to Canada, to have housing provided for him, food, and when he's able, a job. All of these things are coming from London. Everything is in place. There is no reason for him not to be attending. And we are calling upon our ministers, particularly Minister Bill Blair, to contact his equals over in the United States and get get the ball rolling. We're talking with Megan Walker, and we're talking about a continuing story that we've been following. It is a story involving a man named Kenneth, who is from Cameroon. If you look up the political situation, environment in Cameroon, unrest doesn't even begin to describe it. And he is up on charges of hostilities to the fatherland or toward the fatherland, which can result in execution and now is facing deportation, essentially has never stopped facing deportation, but he was pulled off a plane. And that plane was leaving, Megan, from the United States, was it not? Yes, it was. It was about to take off. I mean, it was a last-minute situation, and he was taken off the plane along with some others. And I just asked the community to think about something. Can you imagine attending a peaceful protest being arrested and tortured and having your sister raped, uh, escaping, making the effort and successfully entering the United States, the United States, and then facing the type of torture he um, was receiving in his homeland. But not only that, sitting on an airplane with all sorts of other Cameroonians, knowing they're going back, and the entire airplane ride 
knowing that they're going to go back and be killed. Like, I cannot even imagine that. You know, this is my last six hours of life or whatever it is. Like, this is unacceptable for the United States of America. They are not a safe country for refugees. And we need to, as a government, take action to make sure that um, this this horrendous behavior towards immigrants uh, ends. And, and, you know, honestly, I feel like if we can just get um, Kenneth to his meeting on Friday morning, it will be the first step in helping others, you know, and he will, I know based on his history and based on what the lawyers are saying, he will likely in balance of probabilities will make it through into Canada. So, you know, we need to take action collectively and lobby our members of parliament and make sure that this happens because, uh, the consequence uh, of ignoring it means the death, the the certain death of Kenneth. And you wonder, Megan, whether when he was looking at places that he could go, obviously he just wanted out of Cameroon, you wonder what the circumstances were that led him to the United States, if that was something where he said, if only I could get to the U.S. I mean, there are all kinds of countries he could have gone to. He wound up in the United States. Yeah, and you know what? He wound up in the United States and Amnesty. The International has just said that it is extremely likely that anyone who is returned to Cameroon will face a high risk of being detained, beaten, disappeared, tortured, or killed. And this is what the United States believes is okay for them to send individuals back to. Well, Megan, I'm sure we'll be updating this story as it goes along, but we really appreciate it. If somebody was looking to to help or, or reach out? Is it simply contact your local MP? Is, is that kind of the, the best route or is there another I, route? I, I would lobby your MPs and I we also have on change.org and I don't have the actual email but you could Google it, um, a petition at hand right now and uh, we're, it's a petition to Bill Blair, the public safety minister and three others asking that uh, Kenneth be brought to Fort Erie for his meeting on Uh, this Friday um, at 8 a.m. And, you know, so far it was a miracle he even got the meeting, and now we need to see it through to completion. Well, you had just put that petition up already. 879, 880, Megan, 881, 2, 3. I'm watching the number climb as I have this open right now. 4, 5, since you mentioned that. 888, I I could just sit here and and count the number higher, but I have that on my Twitter feed at Stubbs980 if you're interested in looking at it. Megan, we're almost, hang on, if if you hang on about three seconds, I think we'll be at 900. So uh, thank you for getting the message out, and I know we'll be talking again about about this story, but we really appreciate the time. Yeah, and, and again, very appreciative of you, Mike, for raising awareness into this community. You know, this started with an individual woman, Florence Selman, who retired and started working in the jail and met Kenneth um, for two years, has developed a relationship with him, and it's because of her drive and passion that so many of us now internationally are involved. So thank you to London for doing its part. All right, we're up to 897, Megan, so you've got a few more signatures on there. Thanks for the time. Thank you, Mike, so much. Take care. Bye. That's Megan Walker telling the story of Kenneth. And he, yes, and I I received a few emails after we told the story for the first time saying, well, he's not the only one. No, he's not the only one. But this is the story that's being brought to light to at least bring everything else into the open.
the idea that you've got a death plane leaving the United States. You know, I, we don't have details on this, but let's say that things can go happily ever after. Let's picture best case scenario here, even though this looks like a long road to any kind of positive scenario at the moment. If ICE is not going to allow him to go and there will be another plane ready to leave to take him back to Cameroon. But you have to wonder, did Kenneth at any time say, if only I could get to and then fill in the blank, and he didn't end up saying England or France or Spain, wonderful countries, but he found a way to the United States thinking, I've heard things about them. They'll help me. And now he faces deportation from the United States. And they are election, election, election. That's, that is, it's a bad combination. It is. But if you can contact your local MP, if you can certainly look into this story, go to my Twitter feed. It's Dubs980. You can read all kinds of information on Kenneth, the background. There are links there. Uh, there's what Global Affairs Canada has been up to in all of this. Then you can get a picture because it's, yes, this is about one man right now, but it's not. It's about what's happening. And it's about the treatment of people. And we're not supposed to send people back to countries where they face things like torture or they face death. That's that's not something that happens here. Not in North America. So the fact that this appears to be happening, this is why we're telling this story today. We have an opportunity to live pretty charmed lives in this country because you know what? If you want to say something, you can. If you want to do something, typically you can, as long as it goes within the law. We get thinking about, okay, well, what are we going to do for the holidays if we if we still can't get together? And one of the things people are going to be doing is maybe buying gifts and then trying to get them to their loved ones and friends. And this year may wind up being a little bit different than other years. And there's a reason for that, and that is because, well, we're we're kind of all separated still, and nobody's really planning that cross-country trip to see family or even that cross-province trip to see family at this point. John Hamilton joins us. John is a spokesperson for Canada Post. As we talk about deliveries during the holidays, John, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for being here. This is a different year, and I, I think we could say that in just about absolutely every facet of our lives. But when it comes to getting deliveries through for the holidays, how do things differ? Oh, absolutely. Well, I think it's come as no surprise that uh, online shopping has become a, uh, a hobby for most Canadians as we've all been staying home and trying to combat uh, COVID. So. We've seen uh, online shopping increase uh, throughout this year. Um, you know, we started seeing Christmas light volumes um, in the spring, and that continued off. It tapered off a bit when stores started to reopen. Um, but we know Canadians are going to be doing a lot of shopping online this Christmas. We asked back in June when we surveyed, you know, are you thinking of doing online shopping? Half said if they'd be doing some, if not all, of their shopping online. In June, things seemed to be looking a little bit rosier. So, we're preparing for uh, Christmas like no other. Um, it's always our busiest time of year. We gear up. We're proud to do it. Um, but we're asking people to start shopping online for the simple fact that um, it isn't doing just you're not going to be alone shopping online. Pretty much every Canadian is. 
And if everyone waits till that last minute, like we typically do, it's a holiday tradition in Canada to wait around <laughs> Cyber Monday, then we're going to see one surge that uh, you know could overwhelm capacity. We deliver you know, almost two-thirds of the parcels in Canada, but there's only limited capacity, and we're, we're making sure we're doing it safe at the same time. So, you know, it's, it's better just to give yourself some extra time and peace of mind. And you know what? That's not a bad suggestion because we're always told, hey, shop early, take away the stress. And then you're right. You're driving home on Christmas Eve thinking, what stores are still open? What are, where are, can, are three chocolate bars a good gift? And you don't want to be in that position, but you also don't want to be in the position where you're thinking, hey, don't worry. Our world, it works like this all the time where I can buy something and it's delivered the next day. Happens to me all the time right there on my front porch. Uh, there is still a system in place that we like to try and ignore there, there there's no magic wand that gets a place from or gets an item from one place to another is there i mean you guys work some magic but but it's we're not teleporting things no the best we can do no sadly we're not doing that if we could that would make things a lot easier but it is uh we add more resources so we've got four thousand extra seasonal employees a thousand extra vehicles all the equipment and things like that um and trying to work with customers to manage uh demand but we know that there's going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, big expected volumes of parcels. And when you think back, it's been a year of transition for everybody. So you've got a lot of retailers, even local retailers. They're they're figuring out how to do more of their sales online this year just because that's the reality, too. So they need a little bit more time. So you order something, they have to, you know, pull that item, put it in a box, send it off. We pick it up and then we have to process it and then we have to deliver it. It all takes time, and then when you believe when you know when it's just one, it seems pretty simple. But when there's hundreds, and then for us it's thousands. And on, during the holidays, on a typical Monday, we could be delivering two million parcels uh, in a single day. So that's a typical holiday when the stores are open and the malls are open. So um, there's still going to be a lot of options. Go online, look for what those options are. There may be shipping options. There may be pickup in store. Do everything you can to to give yourself some extra time. You know, and find a better hiding spot because things may be sitting at home a little longer before they go under the tree. But it is, uh, it's just the reality. A lot of us are proud to shop last minute. I am one of those. My wife's birthday is December 23rd. That's when I, usually when I do all the shopping. Um, <laughs> that's not going to work this year. And I got to break that habit um, just so I'm not left high and dry going out to the gas station. John Hamilton joining us, spokesperson for Canada Post. As we talk about delivering things during the holiday season, is there is there any concern over the size of things, size of packages? I mean, you could purchase a gift card and, and send that in the mail, but do things get really complex if you say, you know, I've been meaning to buy this backyard swing set and ship it to a family member? Uh, do we need to watch out for things like that? I mean, that's we're, backyard swing set is uh, is a little excessive, but let's say a package that is a little bit bigger than a bread box. Oh, absolutely. Those are going to take a little bit longer because you think, first, they aren't a typical parcel, so it's, they don't move through their machinery as, as, as quickly. But you also have to look. We have um, you know physical distancing in all our facilities. So if you've got, say, like a new barbecue or a new patio set, and we've seen anything and everything this year, including kayaks, if it requires two person to lift, 
then two people have to put on a lot of PPE just to move that item through the system. So that's from pickup and processing to delivery. So those items are going to take longer. If you're going to buy them, you know, we see anything and everything. Give yourself some extra time. Look for what those options are. Uh, maybe, you know, do, do what you can. Uh, but understand that if it's, you know, and when you're having physical distancing, those items that require two person to lift are going to take a little bit more time because they move slower through the system and it just takes longer because it's uh, the safety um, that you have to put in place just to carry some of those items is more difficult than it's ever been. Yeah, and that's got to be brand new. So that's an excellent point. Kayaks, might want to hold off until you can take the kayak yourself. Great tip. John, anything else we need to know before we go? Just to continue to follow, whenever you're looking to purchase anything, we always kind of gla- you know, glaze over this. Look for the shipping instructions that retailers have. We've been working with them so they can give the best information possible. They're going to give options. They're going to give you know due dates. They're going to have sales on earlier than they normally do because everyone's trying to end this year in a positive light because it's, quite frankly, been a challenging year for everybody. John, we really appreciate the time. Thank you. Mike, thank you very much. That's John. That's John Hamilton, spokesperson for Canada Post on deliveries during the holidays. So, yeah, watch the size of things because PPE now comes into play and get it done early or it may not arrive. I keep joking Valentine's Day. It wouldn't be that long, but you know what I mean. You don't want to say, yeah, yeah, the one-day delivery, that, that works no problem. Two million packages on a normal day. What does that number get to now if everybody's doing online shopping? And the other thing to remember, if you are doing online shopping, don't do it the easiest way. Do it by looking for local businesses who are making what you can find in some of those other spots, all right, so that we can all go. They still have the ability to ship in many cases, and you can buy off their website. Please support them as opposed to saying, you know that guy who's going to be a trillionaire soon? I'm going to help that guy out. Let's look local and, and really try and make a point of doing that, even if you are shopping online. It is easy. It is something that you can just click and say, okay, yeah, but my address is already in. Take the five extra seconds and just take a look local and and buy it from somebody around here because they would really use that help. We've had recent information from the Ontario Hospital Association and the Long-Term Care COVID-19 Commission, which took a look at how things are being handled and how a surge in COVID-19 patients during the second wave of the pandemic would affect the current situation and the idea that hospitals and long-term care homes are nearly at capacity, wouldn't be able to handle that surge, and that staffing becomes maybe one of the bigger concerns has prompted us to talk more about this with Dr. Doris Grinspun, who is the CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Dr. Grinspun, thanks for taking some time for us. How are you? Thank you, Mike. Uh, pretty devastated by the fact that the death toll amongst residents in nursing homes continues to become higher and higher and higher, which surpassed already the 55% of all deaths in this second wave. And I'm so afraid, as are my colleagues in the front lines, that if we do nothing, we will reach the 80% 
that was outrageously shameful and left us all uh, with terrible guilty feelings and PTSD, many nurses and many PSWs and families devastated. Dr. Grinspun, it doesn't take long, it seems, anymore to run into somebody who says, well, nobody's dying from this anymore. Nobody's dying from this. And I think that always goes to a person who maybe is tuned out a little bit because people are still dying from this. In this province, you can look back at the deaths over the last week. I think there was somebody in their 20s. I mean, this is this is still very real. So when you look at the information that has just come out and some of the concerns going forward for long-term care and for our hospitals – is it bed shortages? Is it staffing levels? Where do you point your, your greatest concern? So the greatest concern going forward now with the second wave, first of all, let me tell the public, people are dying. People are dying, even in communities where uh, people never had known before. A colleague of mine uh, just spoke with me about the neighbor. Uh, that was diagnosed with COVID and took his life out of fear and what was happening. So people are dying and people uh, are devastated. And we better start to be more and more and more careful because uh, if not, things will get a lot worse. But my biggest concern going forward is that if beds become full, uh, your shortage will not be in only ICU beds, but also in ICU RNs. And we begged the province and hospitals to hire uh, RNs in the summer or at least in September so they would be uh, ready with a reserve army, so to call it, just in case that is needed to call them. Second, in nursing homes, we have been saying this, Mike, you have had me in your show before. We have been saying this for years and years and years. And now the commissioner that was supposed to release a report only in April came before end of October with a letter to Minister Fullerton saying further study, further study of the study is not necessary. What is required is the study's timeliness implementation. He's begging the, the Minister Fullerton to take action, and he gives the, the different types of action in terms of staffing and infection control, which really mimics very much the basic care guarantee report that uh, your your listeners have heard us speak before and that the commissioner says it is the consensus of everybody that these four work towers of nursing and support care are necessary and infection control practices are necessary. You know, so, I mean, we are saying to the premier now, take over the file. You know, if minister... Fullerton needs more time to study. Give her the time so she can concentrate in studying. You take over, and let's move on. We're talking with Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. Dr. Grinspun, in closing, do we have time for that, or, or what needs to happen in the very near future if we don't in and order to make a change here? We have time. We will regret if we don't act today. We should have acted in June July and August and September. You're right, but we didn't. So the time is now, not tomorrow and not in a week and not in two weeks because the death toll will continue to increase. Well, Dr. Grinspun, when we talk, it's always very matter-of-fact, but it has to be. And we really appreciate you giving the information and, and continuing to make these requests, and we'll see what happens from this point on. You keep safe. Thank you very much. And the families, by the way, need to be kept in 
and not be locked out again. Absolutely kept in. And home care is ready to help nursing homes too, so there are resources we can help, and we are ready to. Dr. Grinspun, thank you. Thank you very much. That is Dr. Doris Grinspun, CEO of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario on what they're facing in long-term care and really what they're facing in health care as we move forward if these numbers continue to be the same. And if you do walk around saying, yeah, but nobody's dying, how many times can somebody share something that says, yeah, but 99.999% of this demographic survives COVID-19? But, it, but it's not that nobody's dying, and that's that's not the case. We did see a death last week in this area. We are seeing that death count not rise to where it was. Do you want to bring it back to that level? No. So, no, we're not seeing it back to where it was, but we're we're still seeing it rise and you've now got politicians who are coming out and saying maxime bernier came out and said this that you know the hey look at the mortality rate now as compared to before yeah but before we didn't even know how to deal with this thing and there have been techniques that have been learned that have assisted in maybe not as many people dying if you listen to what doctors and nurses and healthcare professionals are saying but it's it's still the virus is still the same you know that's that's the thing that that has to get to us the virus is still the same you've been listening to the london live podcast catch the show live on weekdays from one to three 